time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 41 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chickens, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day. And kiss them too, don't forget. We brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Coffee, coffee. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? That is a cold brew. Of course, because it's hot outside. So if you're a fan of delicious coffee, scrumptious scones, and fabulous lunchtime specials, head on over to Coffee, Coffee. You will not be disappointed. Hello, hello, how are you? Are we going to sing the whole episode? Because <laughs> that'll be fun. <laughs> that'll be so much fun. So how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm really excited because I just had two articles published. I know. It's amazing. Yeah, I'm really excited. So if we have any knitters, crocheters, hand spinners out there. Oh, yeah, I'm sure we do. I just had an article published in the fall issue of Spinoff Magazine. Fantabulous. Yeah, I was really excited. I wrote it on Hog Island sheep and processing their fleece. Oh, yeah. And the article looks gorgeous. I have to say, I looked at it before we were recording today. It does look fantabulous. So the photos are photos of my Hog Island sheep, Anita and Olga, that Pete took. Yes. Because he is quite a gifted photographer. And then photos of samples that I spun and knitted that spinoff photographed in their studio. I remember when that was all going down. So thank you, Long Thread Media and editor Kate Larson for showcasing my work. That's pretty amazing. Congrats to my bestie. Thank you. And then there's another little smaller article that's on spinoff's website. That's amazing. Same thing, working with Hog Island Sheep. It's only just the beginning. Yes, we hope so. (laughs) The only other thing we really have going on are those adorable Nankin babies because we're pretty sure we can sex them now. Yes, and you keep saying, I'm going to get a bucket full of roosters. I'm going to keep those boys. (laughs) They're so cute. They are very cute. Your girls poked their head in the brooder and they were like, I can pick out the roosters. Well, they are my kids. Right. They're going to know chicken. At like four or five weeks old. Yeah. On the way home, Ella's like, yeah, I told Aunt Holly which ones are boys and I was right. I was like, I have no doubt you're right. Yeah. They have very distinct combs. I looked in and I could tell which ones were boys. The thing is, back when we did that broody report with Fiona about trying to sex your chicks, yeah, I took some of her tips and I actually did pick out three hens and three roosters very early on. Right. And then there's one that we're not sure of. So that's a boy. Probably. <laughs> so four roosters, three I don't hens. know. See, I have different experience and that's the whole big funny thing that went on that time about Mary Berry. Right. I've had some before that I'm like, oh, it could be a boy. And every time it turns out they're a girl. Well, heck, I would love if this one were another hen. That would be good. Anyway, they're just the dearest things. I love these little chickens. They're very cute. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a minute just to ask everybody a favor. If you're listening to our show and loving it and would like to help us grow, if you could go over to Apple Podcast and leave us a written review, it would be wonderful. Really helps our show immensely. It does. If you're looking for another way to support the show, you can head on over to our Patreon page. Oh, yes. We have three levels of membership with benefits. See if you'd like to become a new patron of the show. That would be wonderful. And thank you to all of our new patrons. Yes, we're loving all of our new patrons for sure. We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubly Farms. From now until the end of September, you can receive 25% off if you're a first-time buyer. We have a special discount code for our listeners. CWTCL25 
for 25% off your first purchase. You can follow the link in our show notes. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot combine with any other discounts. If you haven't heard, Grubbly Farms has a brand new layer of crumbles food packed with plant and insect protein, perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. Plus, they're the perfect size for bantams and all products ship free. It's a great time to try Grubbly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code CWTCL25. Try it today. Okay, so now it's about that time for the Breed Spotlight. What? <laughs> I'm not sure what that was. Okay. I wanted to come up with something different. Yeah. Okay, we're, we're going with it. Okay, so this week's Breed Spotlight, we're talking about the, the Shetland Hen. The Shetland Hen. Has anyone out there heard of the Shetland Hen? I have. Aliena. Well, you've heard of Shetland sheepdogs. Sheep yes. And Shetland sheep. And Shetland geese. So let's just start by saying to Shetland everyone. Cattle. The Shetland <laughs> Islands. This is where all these names come from. Yes. Are, it's in Scotland. That's right. Maybe that was my Scottish accent. Perhaps it was. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the Shetland hen is obviously a relatively unknown breed from the Shetland Islands. Yes. In Scotland. When I look them up, they are so cute, though. They're really cute. They are. I really, really like them as soon as I saw them. Yeah. So they're a land race breed, again, again, and they are in Scotland, and they just happen to be crested and lay blue eggs. Wow. What are the odds, right? And what do they remind everybody of? The crested cream lake bars. Yeah, a bit. A bit. I mean, as we get in there, and if you look them up, they don't look the same, but the fact that they have the tuft and they lay the blue or green eggs, yeah. Right. So, unfortunately, they're an extremely endangered breed. They are. In Scotland, they're known as tappet. Okay. Which is the Shetland way of saying tufted. Right. Or, or like wearing a cap. To set the stage, the Shetland Islands are an archipelago in the North Sea. Okay. So they're essentially between Scotland and Norway. It's roughly 100 islands, but only about 20 of them are populated. I need to buy one of these islands. Right. Yeah. Although it's cold and windy. That's okay. In August, we'll be like, Lord of all, we're going, <laughs> we're going, going north. Anyway. So there are a couple of theories behind how these blue and green egg-laying hens ended up in the Shetlands. They ended up on this island, this teeny little island in between Norway and Scotland. Right. Yeah. How did they get there? So there are two theories. The first theory. So we know for sure that at some point in the 1500s, two Spanish galleons did crash along the shores of Shetland. And let me guess, they had some chickens on board. That's a theory. I don't think it's been substantiated anywhere, but I did read somewhere where someone didn't like this theory and they pointed out that at the time, the Spaniards were really breeding white egg layers. That's what they favored. Okay. I think it's still up for debate when the Aracana bloodlines ended up in Europe. But here's the thing. Even if they had a white egg layer, they had somebody else, these birds could have breeded with something else along the way. They're land race. The only place that the blue egg gene comes from is South America. Yes. So there has to be a connection to that somewhere. Right. So that's one of the theories. So these Spanish galleons that crashed were part of the Spanish Armada that was being pursued by the English. And like I said, the theory is that the galleons were carrying South American chickens, maybe an early form of the Aracana. Right. And they carried that blue egg laying gene. And that any of these chickens that survived the shipwrecks were taken in by the Shetlanders and mm-hmm. presumably cross with whatever breed they had. Now, there's another theory that I think is a little more plausible. The first one's more romantic. This one's a little more practical, but I like it. This is where we're going to differ because I'm always going to go with the romantic yes, one. Yes, I know you are. That's why I put, <laughs> I, yes, that's why I included it. So another source notes that South American chickens carrying the blue egg gene arrived in Shetland somewhere between the 1880s and 1930s. Okay. 
there was a shipping line that was bringing agricultural nitrite from Chile to Europe. It was a really common trade at the time. Mm -hmm. So the nitrite came into various places, including ports in Shetland. Right. The theory is that they brought some Araucanas with them from Chile, which we know the Araucana comes from Chile. This does seem to be more likely as there is actual documentation. And you know I love documentation. (laughs) There's actual documentation that the Araucanas did arrive in England during the 1930s. And that's when they started being used at Cambridge for the whole auto-sexing program with the leg bars. Right. I remember that. So I think the second's more plausible. And I'm going to use the first and be like these shipwrecks. That's pretty cool to think that that's the way it went down. It is. It's a great story. It is. But I'm going to tell my great great grandchildren. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> Either or. Either or. So, but I agree with you. Like the facts do go to one or the other. They do. But I like to romanticize sometimes and think of a shipwreck, shipwreck. and then these little chickens walking off. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm going to come here and lay some blue eggs. Well, regardless of how they got here, even though it's the second one, (laughs) what evolved was a unique land race breed that adapted to Shetland's windswept islands in cold winters. Okay, so they're cold hardy. And we know how this story goes. They stayed on Shetland for this period of time, and by the 1970s, the breed was in serious decline. We've talked all about this. We have, and I've read in a couple places that there was actually a thriving egg trade during the winter. Okay. Where winter layers that were on Shetland... The eggs would go back to, like, the city of London. Okay. And be sold at market there, which makes sense. Does. But as industrialization crept up, the need for those eggs from the Shetland Islands kind of dissipated. That's worldwide. That's what happened worldwide. It's a pattern that you can't ignore. And if anybody is listening and would like to know more about that, sign up for our Patreon. Yes. $3 a month. We do a whole episode about this. We do, right. It's pretty amazing. But the historical patterns, we really can't ignore them. We see it over and over again. So back on the Shetland Islands, by the 70s, the Shetland head is in serious decline. A family by the name of, I apologize if I mispronounce this name. Okay. Isbisters. They were on the island of Trondra, and they gathered up what they could find of the Shetland head, and they started breeding them for conservation. And the family still maintains the breed. That's awesome. Yeah, there are not a lot of them, though. They are critically endangered. This just makes everyone listening like, I need one of these chickens. And especially if you look up the Shetland hen. Yeah. They're adorable. They're so cute. They really are. Because they're a land race breed, their appearance varies. That's one of the things we talk about all the time with land race. There's so many factors that get pulled into this chicken because they're not developed by a human being. Right. I mean, there's some human input there, but essentially they're allowed to mate where they want to mate. Exactly. So you get different looks. Right. A lot of them are shades of black and red. So pretty. Yeah. I like the black. The black one. ones are really pretty. They're all black with that black top. It's and the very green cute. sheen was pretty evident. Yeah. In but we also saw a variety of photos of gold and cream colored hens mm-hmm. as well. Very pretty. They're a smaller body chicken and they have those tassels or crests in various sizes. Yeah. They're not the size of like a Polish or a Crevacore. Right. They're smaller. It's a smaller, neater crest. It's very cute though. It's a little bigger than the leg bars though. The leg bars really have that little tassel behind the comb. Yeah. And these are, it, it's, it's the whole head. Yeah. yeah. And of course, with crested chickens, the larger the crest, the more vulnerable they are to predators. But like most islands, Shetlands don't have as many predators as mainland. If you got these and you lived on a mainland where there are predators all around, especially aerial predators, they can't see. They can't see above them. You might have to clip some of the feathers so they can actually see or keep them in a run versus any free ranging. run with a top on it, something yeah. like that. Yeah. 
So again, we saw the black and the reds. We saw the creams and the golds. Very, very pretty chickens. They have a good reputation for being docile and for being good layers of blue and green eggs. And blue eggs are so beautiful. So are the green ones. There's this adorable chicken. Yet another breed that will give you colored eggs. Yeah. They're absolutely adorable. They're just so cute. I could see one of these like asleep in my lap. Oh, yeah. So cute. For sure. Of course, no standard exists for them. Right. Because they're a land race. Let's say you want to buy some Shetlands. Where do you go? Where do you go? Guess where? Greenfire Farm. (laughs) And I think we even looked up the price earlier on that. Greenfire Farm sells these extremely endangered chickens for $59 a piece straight run. Straight run. So you have to be willing to take a boy. Yeah, take the roosters. Yep. And if you're going to do that and you get a boy, then you may want to breed them yourself to help the preservation of this breed. Honestly, I do think that places like Greenfire Farm or say the Sandhill Preservation Center, they sell straight run for a variety of reasons. But one of them is that preservation have an opportunity to breed for conservation. I agree. Absolutely. $59 is not expensive for a chicken. So a Google search brought up several UK farms that are currently breeding and selling Shetland hens. So, so for our UK listeners, our UK listeners, you can have at these. Yeah. They're gosh darn cute chickens. I'd love to see them start popping up on our Instagram feed. Wouldn't that be nice? People start getting them. I mean, honestly, when I look at them, they look like a chicken that I would like. Oh, yeah. I think so. Yeah. I mean, because I kind of like the Polish and yep. they kind of remind me of the Polish chicken. They definitely have some similarities, yeah. And the fact that they're cold hardy is very good, but then I'm worried to kind of about heat then. But they're small body birds, so small bodied. Usually I mean, the small body birds do better with the heat. Honestly, we have so many large, non heat tolerant chickens that we always have fans and things running in our runs anyway. Yeah. So yeah. it'd probably be okay for us. Anyway, fascinating chicken. There is also an endangered goose, Shetland goose. Now, nah. so if you have any interest in geese, look them up. They have blue eyes. Ooh, yeah, they're really that's neat. really cool. Yeah, this one kind of is. It's a cutie chicken, and do yourself a favor, look them up. Google the Shetland hen. Yeah, and you'll like it. It's a cute chicken, and it has a very romantic story of how it got to the Shetland Islands in the 1930s. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Chris. Yeah. Do you like subscription boxes? Does that have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then yes. Let me just take a minute to tell everybody about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the Mega Box. There are tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You cannot go wrong with these chicken teas. They are so cute and so soft. In the August box, I absolutely love the copper chicken earrings and the bloodstop powder. They're very shiny. I love the coin purse. It's quilted and it's going to be a great tote for my lip gloss. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order and shipping is always free. It's such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Okay, so for this week's main topic, we're going across the pond and we're going to have some coffee, coffee with, with, feet. with Fiona. Fiona. Yeah. Yeah. There's no delay. That's not fair. I'm out on my own as normal. <laughs> you sound, you can't awesome. hear the delay, but you do sound amazing. I can't sing. I'm under no illusions. I cannot sing. So this week's main topic is this month's roundtable with Fiona. Hi, Fiona. Hi. How are you both doing? We're good. How are you doing? Yeah, really, really well. We've got a hot spell coming up, so I'm very happy. Really? Oh, maybe you have our heat because we have 
a chilly spell. Yeah. We're really happy. We're yeah. It, this is the first time we've had nighttime temperatures under seventy degrees Fahrenheit, and I don't know what yeah, that is. I can Celsius. imagine. It's so like you can be outside and just breeze hit you. It's so oh, nice. Right. It's amazing right now. This week's main topic is our roundtable with Fiona, and we are talking molting. Yeah, the season that we all dread. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing across social media, everybody putting their chickens up with the molts. So we're definitely in that season. So we want to talk a little bit about this, the three of us, all the things that we know, some tricks for molting, and see how we can help everybody out. Well, you're yeah. going into seasonal molt, but we're coming out of a brood molt. Okay. So we had feathers everywhere. In fact, I've got a growth molt going on with the chickens at the moment. So the youngsters, as they grow, they go through multiple iterations of feathers, as you know. And I think they're on about the third iteration of feathers now. They're about between 12 and 14 weeks old. So they've got another set of feathers all around the field. And it does look like a chicken's exploded. (laughs) Like I always say, I want to take all those feathers, not waste them and just make a pillow. I bet you could. You probably could. (laughs) So that's a good point, Fiona. There are different kinds of molts. Yes, definitely. So we can talk very quickly about the different kinds of molts. And then we'll probably stick with that yearly seasonal molt since that's the big one. Yeah. That seems to especially worry new chicken owners. Well, I mean, if you don't know about it, it's really quite scary when you see it for the first time. It really is, especially if you have, and we'll talk about this a little more later on. There are certain types of chickens that, according to the University of Mississippi, have a more severe molt. I know you call that the catastrophic molt. Yes, I do. Yes. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But what are some of the other molts? So there's the broody molt. There's the broody molt. There's a heat molt as well, which they can have. And I would imagine you've experienced a little bit of this during the summer. These tend to be what I call a soft molt. So they're not yeah. quite as big. But there's also the growth molt as chickens go through growing. And the final one is the stress molt, which exactly. can be for all sorts of reasons. So molting is basically losing feathers and growing in new feathers. Right. If you're seeing losing feathers, you also want to take a look medically and make sure that you don't have any other issues that are causing feather loss. Mites, lice, anything that could cause feathers. Feather picking from other chickens in the flock. Exactly. So you want to look at your birds. You don't want to handle them a lot during this time, but you do need to look at their skin and make sure that it is a molt you're dealing with and not a medical issue. Right. Yeah, not creepy crawlies. The thing is, if it's in small patches, it's normally another problem. But if it starts at the neck and goes down their body, down their backs, it's more likely to be a molt. But small patches, probably a parasite of some kind. Yeah, so it's always best to at least look at them, see what's going on, and then move from there. Did I tell you about the robin with feather mites that we had? Yes, We had a a robin a couple of years ago that was completely bald on its head. And we did a little bit of research and it turns out there's a parasite called feather mite. 
And this can actually happen. Now, potentially the feather mite could infect the chickens as well. So obviously we were on tenderhooks, never did. We also didn't see any other birds that had the same feather mite. But it's the strangest thing to see a robin. And I know your robins in the US look different to the UK robins. Ours have got the lovely red breast and look really Ours cute. Ours do too. You on the Christmas cards. Right, yeah. Really lovely. But no feathers on the head. Weirdest thing you've ever seen. Poor thing. I feel bad for them. And it's not like they can check themselves into the patient first and get attention <laughs> no. for it. They got to heal themselves somehow. Nature has to help them out. So once you do that, and once you see the feathers, you make sure it's a molt. We're going to talk about at this time of the year, we're coming into a seasonal molt. Right. If you're a new chicken owner, the thing to keep in mind is that like Fiona was talking about the growth molt. So when you have youngsters, they're going to go through a series of molts. But when your pullets hit about 18 months old, so their second year, they're about 18 months old. That's when you start to see that seasonal molt that can look like an exploding chicken. It's terrible. Yeah. They can look like porcupines. That's the strange thing. And seeing them lose so many feathers all at once, particularly as a new chicken owner, it's really, really worrying. And they don't look happy. They're lethargic. They tend to keep themselves away from the other chickens. And the worst thing you can do is pick them up, of course. But yes. yeah, yeah. initially check them out. And then after that, please don't handle them. Holly, I know we were talking in conversation about feathers. So why don't we tell everybody mm-hmm. what makes these feathers? And then we can understand what's going on with the right. chickens. Bird feathers are made of beta keratin, which is a very lightweight protein. It also forms the beaks and the nails or talons on a bird. Mammals, our hair, fingernail, and the fingernail of all the other mammals are made from a slightly different and less rigid protein that's called alpha keratin. The interesting thing is that a new feather can't grow through the feather follicle until the old feather has fallen out. So that's why you see your hens dumping those massive amounts of feathers, generally as they're preparing for winter. Everything is kind of worn out from the winter before. Right. So they need to prepare for the upcoming winter. Now, there's old wives' tales out there that say... If your flock starts an early molt, say August in the U.S., we're going to yeah. have a really bad winter. I'm going to have to refute that. Actually, I'll, I'll do it right now. <laughs> so <laughs> in my reading, it's just a wise tale. Well, this wife is going to change it. <laughs> so in my reading, I came across a page done by the Mississippi State University Extension website. I'm going to link to it in our show notes. And they had this little blurb on there that actually made a lot of sense to me. They said that your early molters, say you you have a chicken who starts to molt in August, they tend to be the ones who lay less eggs. You know, I agree with that because we have a chicken called Lightning, first molt, hasn't laid in ages. So what they say is that they molt early and more slowly. So they're dumping feathers, but the whole molting process takes longer. Your best layers will molt later in the season and they will have a faster, more severe feather drop. And not only that, but the pin feathers emerge a lot sooner. They dump all these feathers. They look like porcupines. The theory is that they're laying for longer so they don't have the resources to put into the molting. But when they do start to molt, it's sudden and severe. I'd agree with that completely from what I've seen with our flock. I think so too. And I had this theory that I've heard from several people, and I know from my own Dolly Madison, that Dominique's 
and they're great layers. They have a terrible molt. I mean, porcupine looks terrible. Yeah. And I will say that Dolly molts later in the season. I thought perhaps it was an American breed thing. The early American breeds tend to have this tight feathering. I thought it had something to do with that. I changed my opinion. But like you, I agree. This is what I see in my own flock. So I do think there's a lot of credence to that. Your really good layers molt later and more severely. I can see it both ways. Some chickens, it's in their breed not to lay as well as other chickens. Right. So their molt may be a little different. I think it's all within an individual breed also. It depends because we've got three cream leg bars and one molts far, far later than the others. And she is by far our most reliable and prolific layer out of all three. Okay. But Wilcox and Moye, they will molt quite early. And they're good layers, but they're not great. Mm-hmm. Lennox is amazing. And she was on lay last year all the way up till Christmas. And as you know, wow. cream leg bars normally go off lay over winter. But her molt was quite severe, very, very quick. My Brahmas molt early, and it's a long, gradual molt, and they are not good layers, maybe two eggs a week. Chrissy, what did you say about Lucy the Leghorn? Well, here's the thing. Bubbles isn't a good layer, but she is a quick molt. Okay. And she did molt early, which she's doing right now, but she lost a bunch of feathers. Well, she has a ton of feathers to lose, too. But she lost them all. And now they're all growing in like porcupines. It's an interesting theory. I mean, like I said, I'm going to link the article to our show notes. Everybody can read it and take away what they want from it. Yeah, but Lucy laid during a molt. Wow. It was a soft molt, but that chicken is a leg machine. And then when it really geared up, then she stopped for like two weeks and then went right back to laying. and, And that's kind of what the article says. I have to say, though, Bubbles, who's not a good egg layer, still lost everything the same way. It It might be a good egg layer for an Orpington, to be fair, because they're not the best. (laughs) That's one of their, like, things. They're not the best egg layer. You're not going to get, like, hundreds of eggs from Buff Orpington. They're like, look, I'm so fluffy. This is what I'm good for. I don't need to lay. I'm cute. Right? Okay, so we want to put this out there that the shaft is going to come through first. The thing that fascinates me is that most people think that the feather's just going to come out like the fronds and the shaft's going to come afterwards, but it's completely the opposite way around, isn't it? It's the shaft first, right? and then they have to nibble, almost nibble the top off, don't they, for the, the feather fronds to actually grow exactly. out. Yeah, there's a keratin sheath over top of the feather as it emerges. And they're and they- called pin feathers. Yeah. Now, have you ever heard them called blood feathers? Yes. And I've said this before when we were talking. They're working so long in the vet hospital. We did trim feathers on parrots. When they come through, some have the blood in the feather. So if you cut something too far, that feather would bleed until it pulled completely out of the Right. Shell. And I actually didn't know they were called blood feathers. I mean, I knew what a pin feather was. So each feather has that blood supply running through the base of it. You can see it. You can it's actually like a see it on the pin feathers. You can see a dark place, almost looks like a vein. Yeah. yeah. It's like a quick on a nail. And once the, yeah. once the emerging feather is fully grown, once they've nibbled off the sheath and it's grown all the way and unfurled, the blood supply dies off in the base of the feather. This is what I always compare it to, a needle coming through the opposite way. You know how it is to get a vaccine, to get a needle, feel that coming from inside out. This is kind of what the shaft is going to feel like to them coming through. And that's why we say it's really not a great idea 
for everyone to be picking up chickens while these feather shafts are coming through. The other thing which people think is a good idea at this time, because they think the chickens are cold because they don't have the covering of feathers, is to put a jacket on or some kind of sweater or something to cover them to keep them warm. And actually, it's so painful for them, isn't it? It, It's just too much pressure on those pin feathers. Yeah. And I would imagine if they're using knitted garments, it's going to get stuck. Right. The pin, and they can yes. break. And when you were talking about the bleeding, they bleed yeah. terribly. If a blood feather breaks, it's going to bleed until you pull the feather out at the shaft. So it's not a good process to have to go through. Mm. So let's move on to how we can support them. What can we do? We can't hug them. Gonna have to change your tagline. You can't do hug your chickens every day. Hug your chicken every day unless it's molting. Yes. And then don't touch it. Yeah. Again, for our new chicken owners, most molting takes place within an eight-week period. So a month or two and it's usually over. Yeah. But there are some poor chickens where the molting can last one to three months. That's usually a more gradual molt, but it can last that long. Just something to be aware of. And what we can do to help them through that is pump up protein and calcium in their diets. It's not going to be holding them. It's not going to be picking them up and looking at them or putting the sweater on them. It's what we can supplement back because to make a feather, it takes protein and calcium. So that's why you're going to stop seeing eggs because they need that calcium and protein to make the feathers. So what things can we give? You want protein sources that are very rich in amino acids and have extra fats because they need all of these things for growing the feathers. Yeah. And in the UK, where you can't have that, Fiona, what do you use? You use pea protein, correct? We actually use, yeah, um, dried split peas are the main thing that we supplement in the diet to give them that extra protein. And there's lots of other things you can do. You can give them cooked beans, but not raw beans. There is, I've got to get this right, because it's such a long technical chemical name, Phytohemoglutinin is very toxic to chickens. Very small quantity can actually kill them. And in dried beans and in raw beans, it's very high quantities. But as soon as you cook it, they break down and it's perfectly safe for chickens to eat. So anything like field beans, broad beans, anything like that that's cooked Split up. peas, dried Dried split peas, we get them in 25 kilo sacks from my feed merchant and we mix it in with the food. The other thing that we do is switch all the chickens to growers pellets. So Mm -hmm. if they're on layers, they don't need to be on layers because that level of calcium is probably higher than they need during the molting process, even though they do need the calcium, we can still give them coarse oyster shell, but the growers has a much higher level of protein. In the States, we have Grublies, who actually has a crumble feed that is made from pea protein and soldier fly grubs, which I know in the UK, you can't use as much. But that food is packed full of the things that during a molt, you're going to need. Sunflower hearts, which we were mentioning before, sunflower hearts are higher in protein. These types of things are good to give them. Peanuts, high in protein. So if you are in the U.S., check out Grubblies. I think it's a lot easier in the U.S. because you can feed mealworms, you can feed soldier fly larvae. We cannot do that in the U.K., unfortunately, because of our rules around animal byproducts. We were talking about peanut suet cakes and you were saying you guys could make your own 
if you're going to make them in the UK, we've got to make them with vegetable suet, not with yes. beef suet. That's exactly that's one thing. Right. What you're buying here in the US is beef suet. And that fat, it really is. It's great for your chickens. Your chickens are omnivores. Is it easy to find vegetable suet in the UK, Fiona? Oh, yeah. It's in the supermarket. It's it's nice. really not a problem to get hold of it. It's um, a standard thing on the shelves in the bakery aisle. It's really easy to get hold of. Oh, nice. But actually, sunflower hearts as well, we can easily get hold of. Unsalted peanuts, cashews, walnuts, all of these high in protein, pop them all in. Great. And a lot of fat. They need a lot of that extra fat for growing yeah. others as well. So I've experienced this, and the two of you can tell me if you have. I had a pullet, Blanche Dubois, my Easter egg. I still love that name. I love (laughs) it. And Blanche was in with Jersey Giants, and she was smaller than all of them. So I don't know if she was having trouble accessing food, which doesn't seem likely given the amount of food bowls that I put out. But anyway, during her first molt at 18 months, I was terrified. I thought she'd develop something neurological. She was sort of swaying on her feet and just having a terrible time. I asked an old-time chicken breeder, what the heck's going on with my hen? What do I do? And he said, give her some tuna fish. Her nutrients are low. It's all going into the feathers. It's neurological, but only because of a deficiency, not like Merrick's or organic neurological problem. So I slipped her some tuna fish and within 24 hours, she was back to normal. So we need to give vitamin drops. We need to do it that way because, again, we can't feed tuna fish or really anything which is animal-based, including fish-based. But we can easily get hold of vitamin drops. What about something like crickets? Do you have freeze-dried crickets in the UK and can you feed them? We do, but I don't know what they're fed on. And this is what what it comes down to. If they're fed on anything which could potentially be classed as kitchen waste, we cannot take them at all. And usually all of these insects, uh, particularly if it's larvae, will be fed on catering waste. So we can't feed it. Now, crickets, I don't know, but I would imagine they probably get catering plant waste. So no, no, we we wouldn't legally be able to feed them now. A lot of the black soldier fly larvae here in the U.S. are only fed on vegetable waste. Exactly. But nothing like that in the U.K. that I found. I'm yet to see, for example, any mealworms in the U.K. which are labeled as fed on plants only. Most of them are imported from overseas, mainly from China, and they have been fed on catering waste, unfortunately. So they're they're illegal no-no for our chickens, unfortunately. The other thing which you could do is frozen peas. You're, you're talking about regular green peas? Green peas. Mm-hmm. Frozen Garden. green yes. peas. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they're Perfect. a vegetable that is very high in protein. Pea-based protein is really the thing right now in the U.S. And this would help them immensely. I buy sacks of dried split peas from our feed merchant. Really good quality stuff. Incredibly high in protein. 25 kilos for seven pounds. Yeah, so, oh, that's great. The peas are legumes, so they can get them uncooked. Yeah. So here's the other thing we always look at is what can we give them Mm supplement-wise? Besides just foods off the table, we can use different things like Ropa Poultry Complete, Strong Animal Chicken Essentials has a chicken elixir, Nutri-Drench. Nutri-Drench is great. 
My absolute favorite is Rooster Booster, vitamins, electrolytes, and probiotics. probiotics. I use that a lot with my chickens. And you can get it a powder that you put in the gallon mm-hmm. of water. They drink it. It's great. You can get a canister that you add to a 50-pound bag of food. Okay. Then they eat it that way. Fiona, do you have a favorite supplement that you use? Yeah, we actually use one of the supplements, which uh, a lot of people use in the UK as being the the wormer treatment. But actually, as we've discussed in a previous roundtable, they only discourage, they don't actually treat worms. They're full of vitamins. So they are actually at this time of year, a really good thing to add into the water. And we do do that. But we also give a supplement of dried maize kibble. So mixed corn as a as a treat food as well, because particularly about an hour before they go to bed, because they are going to be a little bit colder. So that raises their body temperature as well. Exactly. Gives them a bit of a boost. So while you can't put sweaters on them, you can make them a little bit warmer that way. With something that's uh, vitamin rich carbohydrate. That's like a good oatmeal. idea. Yeah. Oatmeal is good in the winter. Oh, it's yes. also good. It's good to give them a mash as well. Warm mash. That's fantastic for them. Mix it all together and give them a little treat like an hour before bed. Their bodies warm up and it keeps them warmer internally versus the outside. There's so many things that we can do to help support them. It's hard to look at them. That's for sure. I I thought of this until right this moment. But I suppose if you are in a position to do so, if you have a molting chicken later in the season when it's quite cold, because here in the mid-Atlantic, Our first frost is about October 15th. So we start getting chilly around the time that a lot of the hens are molting. I think that's a good time to utilize something like the Cozy Coop Heater, a flat panel radiant heater, one of the safe heaters in your coop. Yeah. You can go for something a bit more passive. I mean, what I tend to use are hot water bottles wrapped in old towels and put them in. Just put them beside where the chickens are. Mm -hmm. Don't put the chicken on the hot water bottle. and always (laughs) That would be a sight. By wrapping it in an old towel as well, it retains the heat a lot longer, but it adds that boost into the coops. It's really lovely. That's a good but, idea. That's a great idea. I had cowgirl penny last year. There was snow on the ground. Penny and, molted forever last year. And she molted while it was snowing. Yes. And she's a shy chicken at the bottom of the pecking order already. So she wouldn't put herself in. And then she was losing weight. She grew these giant spurs, and there that's are, why her name is now Cowgirl, Cowgirl Penny. Penny. I, I was going to say, why is she called Cowgirl Penny? Because her spurs are at least a couple of inches long. They're the biggest spurs I've ever seen on a hen. And it's wow. crazy. But she molted <laughs> in the middle of snowstorms in December and January, and I had to take her out and feed her on her own and make sure she was getting it. Really carb loader so mm-hmm. that she could put the weight back on. And oatmeal, corn, the high protein things, everything kind of helped her. She's amazing now. I'm kind of like, oh, God, don't molt again in December and January, please. Yeah, I mean, that is very late, to be fair. A lot of people are quite shocked. If you're a first time chicken keeper, there's so many people ask me, why are they molting when it's getting cold? That's just wrong. But if you think about it, it's the right time of year to be molting because they're getting rid of the old worn out feathers, which aren't keeping them as warm. And right. they're growing brand new fluffy ones, which are going to insulate them, going to keep them dry, going to keep yep. them warm. It's the perfect time, providing it's not January. <laughs> right. And here's the thing. If you can supplement with the vitamins, with the extra protein in their diet, you can help speed up the process a little bit because they'll help grow the feathers a little bit quicker. 
And here's the thing we looked in when we did calcium a few weeks ago. If the calcium is gone, then they go into bone calcium. So yes, we need to keep supplementing it through all these different processes. So like we talked about in that episode, layer food and eggshells are really good sources for a quick calcium boost, but you want to keep that crushed oyster shell available for them. It stays in their system a long time and dissolves. It gives them a really good source of calcium. During molting, I would go to the growers and have the coarse oyster shell to give them that calcium boost. But the growers, huge amounts of protein. It's great. Yeah, it really is. I mean, if you're looking for a protein-packed food, that's definitely the way to go. We talk a lot about hens molting, but you don't hear very much about the roosters molting. And Fiona, you don't tend to keep your cockerels that long. So no, I will... because we use them as breeding cockerels. So right. if we keep them longer than a year, they're going to be breeding with their related daughters. So right. that's not a good thing. Right. Roosters do molt. They tend to not be anywhere near as severe as a hen's molt. You'll notice the neck feathers coming out first. The most noticeable bit of molting for a rooster is that he will lose all of his tail feathers. And it looks ridiculous. Yes. They look really silly when their tail feathers fall out. So in conclusion, good care, good supportive protein and calcium and no hugs during that time. Oh, it's so hard not to hug them. But restrain yourself. Well, we restrain ourselves during molting. Fiona had a great idea about hot water bottles wrapped in towels in the coop to help bring the temperature up a little bit on colder nights. And those types of things can help and support them. You could put a heat lamp into the coops if you've got the capability. Or we have actually put the large brooder plate on as well. That's essentially what the cozy coop heater is. It's the Mm. same technology in a brooder plate. It's just vertical. It's bigger too. Yeah. And I know there are some brooder plates on the market that convert. Okay. I haven't seen it in the UK, but then again, I haven't actually looked for one that converts. So I might have a a look out. You have those awesome Titan brooders. Oh, we've got two. We've got a huge one and a more reasonably sized brooder. (laughs) (laughs) Fiona, thank you once again. We love chatting with you. We love our roundtables once a month with you. I love it. Bye, Fiona. Bye. Bye. We just want to say thank you to Fiona for giving us another great roundtable discussion. It's so much fun to talk to Fiona. Don't forget, English Country Life is an amazing YouTube channel. And Fiona has a video on molting. Check it out on her YouTube channel. We will link it in our show notes. Yes, it's amazing. And it's just fun to watch and see all the countryside in England. I, always, I actually rewatch Fiona's videos they're because amazing. they're so pretty. Yeah. So thank you again, Fiona. Okay, so now it's about that time that we... Cracking the eggs? Cracking those eggs. Okay, so we're sticking with the Scottish theme for today. UK, right, right. UK, Scotland. We have Fiona. We had Fiona who's Scottish. Right. Has anybody heard of this recipe? I'm wondering. Coddled eggs? It sounds like cuddled eggs. Cuddled eggs. It's well, perfect you, for us. Our UK listeners have definitely heard of cuddled eggs. And probably if we have any older listeners here. Yeah. So I'll preface this by saying that the wonderful Fiona sent us a set of egg coddlers. We love them. They're beautiful. And we'll talk a, b- a bit more about them in retail therapy. But they're yeah. beautiful little things. So I just did a basic cuddled egg recipe. It's so much fun. For our American listeners or anyone else who doesn't know what a cuddled egg is, Coddled eggs are cooked inside of an egg coddler, as we said. Yes. And they're usually these small ceramic containers with a screw on lid. 
And it's so cool because you put the whole thing in the boiling water. Yes. So there's a little loop on the top that you can use it to lower or lift out of the water. Yes. It's so cute. Although I've read it numerous places. Only use that loop for lifting out of water. Do not use it to screw the top oh, one because they you, break. It'll break yeah. off. And then how in the heck are you going to get it out of the water? A big pair of tongs, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Coming through with the tongs. <laughs> so... so. Essentially, you would butter the inside of the coddler or you could spray it with olive oil or something Because you like don't that. want it to stick. Right. And then you crack your egg into the coddler. Right. And the magic happens is that you can add all kinds of extras. Seasonings and items of food. Absolutely. Like, this is pretty much our recipes. Like you make it your own. So you can add ingredients such as cream, bacon, chive, smoked salmon. Yeah. Spinach, mushrooms, cheese. Of course, I use not dairy cheese, but you know. And then a bunch of spices that you want. Yes. If you want a little bit of each, you put it all in the cup. It makes it so right. nice. And I will note, if you want to add a lot of fillings, there's actually a king-sized coddler. I think that's the one I that's have. You, I have the single, you have the king size. Because you have the bantam chickens. Right. right. So you got the smaller one and I got well, the big one. And that's the funny thing there. If you want to add a lot to it, don't do what I did. Well, I didn't add a ton to it, but I used a Brahma egg. <laughs> the phantom size. It's not phantom size. It's supposed to be a standard egg, but <laughs> I'm telling you, caramel can lay some big eggs sometimes. I so. was like thinking, I don't know I about cracked that. a Brahma egg in there and I was like, shoot, can I fit the chives and cheese in there? But they did fit. It would be good for pullet eggs too. It would be perfect for pullet eggs. Yeah. And I had pullet eggs right in front of me, but I, you know, <laughs> I just grabbed egg. a Brahma egg. So as we said, you butter or spray your coddler. You crack your egg in, you add your extras, you put the lid on, and then you lower it into a pan of boiling water. It's like a boiled egg, but a different... I mean, it's it cooks a, very gently and slowly. Yeah. And it's in the water bath, which even helps. And it's a gentle cook. In some places, I saw it was steaming. I'm not sure if it's Do we steaming. have a time that we're supposed to leave it in the boiling I'll, water? I will tell you that in a moment. So it's, as I was saying, it's a gentle cook, and the coddler is mostly immersed in the water bath, and the result is a bit like a soft-boiled egg. Did yeah. You, did your mom ever make soft-boiled eggs when you no. were a kid? Okay. Mine was big on the soft-boiled eggs. Mine was not. So it's like a soft-boiled egg. Not entirely like a poached egg, but there are some similarities. But they're served in that beautiful little china dish. You right. You them right in the coddler. Oh, and by the way, MarthaStewart.com gave a great tip. If you don't have coddlers, you can use glass baby food jars. Oh, that's a neat idea. Isn't that a good idea? And you yeah. definitely need those thongs for that. Yes, you do. Yeah, you're going to have to lift that in. I said thongs. I meant tongs. Thongs. <laughs> you can make a coddled egg if you have a thong. And a glass baby food jar. I don't think that's all you're making. <laughs> Let me see your thong. <laughs> the amazing thing about this, we mentioned you can add all those things. One of the things I read, and this wouldn't work in my house, but you can actually line the coddler itself with like pieces of ham or something. Oh, it wouldn't work for me. Right. But it would work yeah. for Joe and the girls. And the girls, yes. You can actually line the coddler. You Please. can cook your coddled eggs to your liking. So you can make them soft enough to dip toast in. Nice. You can make them firmer, like firm enough to be eaten with a fork. I messed around with it. I like them in between. And almost like to me, feels like, like a little bit of like scrambled eggs, but already made in like a little. A little bit. And so I, I found that I liked this in between and I actually took several bites. It was delicious. And then I wanted it on toast. So I spread it on toast. That's awesome. It was so good. So you bring your saucepan of water to boil, you lower in your coddlers, whatever you want in there, the water level you want to be below the rim of the coddler, right? and you sit in the boiling water, then you're going to turn the water down to a simmer, sort of like you do with hard-boiled eggs. Okay. 
You cook them between five and 10 minutes, depending on how firm or soft you want them. Okay. I ended up cooking about six to seven minutes. And you had the smaller. So I would guess, too, if you had the larger, more eggs, you might have to cook a little yeah, longer. Yeah, you'd probably want to do at least 10 minutes. Yeah. And then you turn the heat off and you let the coddled eggs sit in there for another five minutes or so. Yeah. In the water. In the water, right. Yeah. Then you take it off. I used two pot holders to unscrew it. Yeah. It was ridiculously good. Yeah. The chives and the cheddar. Oh, yeah. I just went right out to the garden and snipped some chives. And as I said, I used non-dairy cheddar. It was ridiculously good. I can imagine it being really good on toast. Delicious. It was delicious on toast. Over avocado. Well, yes. That would be really good. So you can find recipes around here, various places. If you just do a Google search for coddled egg recipes. But once you know the up. basics, you can just make it your exactly. own. Exactly. That's the fun of this. Now, this was fun. William Sonoma has a recipe for baking your coddled eggs. Oh, okay. So you're just going to use a baking pan as a water bath and put your coddlers in. It takes longer than the stovetop, but you don't really need to watch it. I think it would be easier just doing it on the stovetop. I found it easier to do it on the stovetop, but maybe if you have a bunch of them. I don't know. Oh, if you want to do a whole bunch at one time, yeah. maybe. In that case, it would work. But it's And you couldn't put it on a, like a baking sheet. You'd have to use a high side. With higher sides, right? Yeah. Because the water has to come up at least a couple of inches up the coddler. So, now okay. we seamlessly slide into retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. yeah. Egg coddlers. Thanks to the fabulous Fiona. Yes. For such these gorgeous a sweet friend of ours. She's the best. She sent us some and they are gorgeous. And we are going to have a picture up this week. Yes. Of them on our Instagram page. So you can see what you're looking for when you look They're for the them. prettiest things. And instantly we were like, oh, look, another chicken thing to collect. To collect. Yeah. And they are quite collectible. And like we said, the eggs are served in the coddler. So they tend to be really attractive with pretty painted china. Oh, yeah. Really nice. Ours have peaches and blackberries. They're so on pretty. Very pretty. As we said before, most of the coddlers are single serving. Yes. But there is that king size. I think I have the king size. Right. Your coddler, which is about double mine, is yeah. the king size. And they tend to be a little bit pricey. They are a little bit on the pricey side. Yeah. I mean, so you have to be willing to pay for them. And the thing is, you can reuse them all the time. Absolutely. You just have to rinse them out, clean them. And I would not put them in the dishwasher. I would hand wash these for sure. I would as well. I read in a couple places other collectors saying they've bought coddlers and the instructions said these are dishwasher safe, but they don't even chance it. I wouldn't. They're so pretty. Most of the patterns are beautiful. And it's another vintage item that you can collect. And it's a useful one. You can use them to cook I'm your telling eggs. You, I don't know where coddled eggs have been all my life. I, but <laughs> in whoa, Scotland. <laughs> right? Good stuff. <laughs> so most of the vintage egg coddlers that we've come across so far have been produced by Royal Worcester. Yes. And if you just stuck with Royal Worcester, they have so many patterns. Oh, yes, they do. They have a lot. They are painted with fruit flowers. We saw beautiful birds. They're amazing. Royal Worcester even has a hard-to-find rooster pattern that's quite nice. All you have to do is Google egg coddler. And, and you probably, can see how beautiful these would look in a windowsill. They would. Or in a vintage hutch like I a have. cabinet like that, yeah. Like a cabinet. Yep. They're so beautiful. They are really beautiful. Oh, look at this one. Blue and white hen. I hadn't seen that one before. I like that. I like that a lot. There is a website, the Museum of Royal Worcester, and they have lots of photos of coddlers, and they have a lot of recipes on there as well. This is amazing. Another awesome thing to collect. You can cook your egg in it, eat your eggs a different way yet again to use these eggs oh, so that good. all these amazing chickens are giving you. And it's just so much fun. It is. 
So we talked about the Royal Worcester, and they're all over Etsy. They're all over eBay. I was going to say eBay is a good place to go. But we found a few other brands to keep an eye out for. Shafford is another one. That's another really good brand. And that one I really liked. It was painted with herbs. It was painted with chives and dill flowers. Very pretty. Wedgwood are yes, friend. Wedgwood, Wedgwood is a friend. A wild strawberry pattern that's lovely. There's Ainsley that has a cottage garden pattern. And then this one was a little different. This cobbler looks different. It has sort of a top that snaps on. And the brand is Royal Sealy. And they're most well known seen for this their one? moss rose pattern. It looks like eight colors were never huge in the U.S. No, but I don't I, think they were. I did find some from the 50s and 60s. There's a Lori Design Company. They're from the 1960s. And the cobbler is adorable. It's a little bird on a nest. Yes, it really is. Cute. Also, there's a Coalport, and that is decorated with forget-me-nots. Were you a Williams-Sonoma fan? I'm a Williams-Sonoma fan. I am back. a way back Williams-Sonoma. Yeah. Like, a lot of my kitchen stuff came from Williams-Sonoma. too. So... In the U.S., Williams-Sonoma used to offer a very pretty set of blue and white china egg cuddlers. I love those. I love blue and white. The one with the one I just found with the hen. Yeah. I mean, I did all this, and then you just pull them up, and there's even more than before that are so cute and highly, highly collectible. I wonder how many of these we've walked past, not even knowing what they were. Probably in all of our running around and thrift store finds. Like, we, they were probably sitting there. We did not know. Probably. Thanks to Fiona. I mean, now we William, do. The Williams-Sonoma Coddlers would be an amazing second-hand find. They also had a pattern that was pink, but I couldn't find much information about it. Yeah. And then there's another American company, Harker Hot Oven, and that's from the 1950s. And it looks like they're most commonly found painted with a very pretty tulip pattern. I love all the ones with the bunnies. The bunnies are cute, yeah. There's so many with bunnies, yeah. and they're so cute. I just love anything that you can collect in, you know, moderation, of course, right, but of course. that you can use. Yes. And another way to make breakfast with the eggs. Yes. I mean, this is what it's all about is finding recipes and new ways to fix the eggs so you don't get tired and you use all the eggs that these beautiful chickens are giving you. Right. So this is amazing. If you want more information, there is a Facebook group and it is called the Egg Coddlers Appreciation Society. Wonderful, right? Yeah, they're a great resource. There's also an entire website dedicated to egg coddlers. I've seen that. Have you? Yeah. Okay. It's egg-coddlers.com. <laughs> they have lists of manufacturers, patterns, coddling recipes, etc. It's a very simplistic website, but there's a ton of information on there. This is also a great gift for the chicken lady. Yes. Or if you know someone you're going to their house, a hostess gift. That would be a nice hostess gift. They're so pretty. Or like, you know, a new neighbor or something. Most people eat eggs. Right. So this is an amazing little gift. I really don't know where cuddled eggs have been all my life. I know. Fiona, thank you for sending us these. We love them. We do. So there we go. Coddled eggs, egg coddlers, Shetland hens, and Fiona the floof lady. It's a Scottish extravaganza. Okay, so why don't we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Next week is another fun episode. We are talking about the beautiful Ancona chicken. Oh, they are beautiful. Another heritage breed. Okay, this is super, super fun. It's going to be filled with lots of great information. Our main topic is the history of the chicken lady. I love this topic. This This is is one of my faves. Our recipe is a delicious poached egg and tomato sauce. Because you know we love eggs and tomato together. And then Retail Therapy is an Etsy shop. Yes. It is living in the lovelies. And we can't wait to tell you all about it. Yep. Okay, so what should we tell everybody to do? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. Don't forget. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. 
If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.